0: tithing in your offering so just be comforted in that how many of you sensed peace and a comforting as we were singing today in praise and worship do you know that's the presence of our father that's what the presence if anybody ever wondered what in the world are people talking about when they say they feel the presence that's what the presence of God feels like and I don't know about you but I love his presence and the more I enjoy his presence the more I hunger for it and for him well we've been doing a series on believers authority and I'm going to do just a little bit of review to bring us up to date on where we're at today so my first question is did Christ destroy the works of the devil or do we destroy the works of the devil? And the answer is yes to both questions. It is yes to both. Because although Jesus fully accomplished the task of breaking the authority of Satan and voiding his legal hold upon the human race, someone on earth must represent him in that victory and enforce it. I'm getting my heart rate to lower. I gotta take a deep breath right now. Get some nerves to calm down. Okay. So when did we receive God's authority? When God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember, Christ is the head and we, the church, are his body. Jesus works through his church in our battle against the enemy and his forces. We need to keep in mind that we're above them and we have authority over them. As believers, we have authority over the devil. We can break the power of the devil if he raises his head anywhere in our own life or in the lives of our immediate family or loved ones. We have authority there. We'll be free from the enemy because we've got the right to exercise our authority over him. That doesn't mean that we're gonna go down the street casting out the devil from everyone we meet. Spiritual authority is very much like natural authority. Because we have authority in our own household, don't we? Yes. We have authority over our own money. We, Barry and I get to say what we do with our money. You guys don't have any say in that, correct? And same with you. So we have authority over our own children, our own bodies. That's what I'm talking about. So, um, only through intercession can we exercise spiritual authority in anyone else's family. With Jesus, We are sitting at the right hand of the Father, far above principalities and powers. If we're far above them, then we have authority over them. Yes, Satan is the temporary God of this world, so he is running the world system. But we're in this world, we're not of this world, so he's not running us. So what are we supposed to do with this authority? What is its purpose? God has given us tools to use as we live in this world. And his authority is one of these tools. Other tools could be called prayer, forgiveness, love, wisdom, and of course we have the Holy Spirit. But our current teaching right now is on the believer's authority. And our authority enables us to reign as kings. And that's my first point. Authority enables us to reign as kings. Romans five seventeen. In the NLV, it says we can reign in life, in this life, by Christ Jesus. So for if, by the trespass of the one man, death reign through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We are to reign in the here and the now. The contemporary English version of this says, Death ruled like a king because Adam had sinned. But that cannot compare with what Jesus Christ has done. God has treated us with undeserved grace, and he has accepted us because of Jesus. And so we will live and rule like kings. So most versions of this verse, they don't use the word kings. But the very idea of reigning brings the thoughts of kings to mind. The very notion of reigning carries with it the idea of ruling, of dominion, and of having authority. Well, where do kings rule and reign? Well in their particular domain or their particular kingdom. Paul said we reign in life. We have the authority to rule and reign and have dominion in our life, in the life we have here and now. So that Romans 517 mentioned two things that we have received. It said we received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that enables you to reign. If you don't know what you've received, you'll be hindered in reigning. That means I can stand in the presence of God without a sense of spiritual inferiority or condemnation. It also means that instead of being ruled by Satan, and all of his works, I can now rule and reign over him. If this truth ever fully dawns on the church, we're going to rise up like giants in our land. We're going to be like the early church, because it was said of them that they had turned the world upside down. Every Christian, and that includes you, we are all a king in this life. We are called to reign in righteousness you are meant to exercise dominion over satan and the circumstances of life you're not a victim you are a victor in christ jesus john knew this about us and he declared you are of god little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world the greater one lives in you he has imparted his nature of righteousness to you and that's what makes you like him that nature makes you think see and talk like him revelation 1 6 says grace to you verse 1 does grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and then verse 6 says and has made us kings and priests to his god and father romans five seventeen, the back half of that verse says we shall reign as kings in life through the one, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So, we are to rule and to reign. But what does that mean? It means that we are to rule and reign over sin, poverty, disease, anything else that would hinder us. Now, does it mean that we are to rule over other people or that we are to behave like kings in the situations we're in? No way. Matthew 5, 43 through 44. Jesus said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. See, we're not to take revenge on people, are we? If someone slaps you on the right cheek, we're supposed to offer the other one also. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, we're supposed to carry it two miles. See, Jesus, man, he's our perfect example of a humble king who was a servant of all. He did not demand his disciples to serve him or to treat him as king. That would be a carnal or a fleshly way of viewing reigning as kings. So let's see what the Bible says about it. Romans 6, 12, 12 through 14. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. The New King James says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Verse 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. So instead, instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You are no longer You no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. My second point that I'm making today is to reign as kings, we must reign over ourselves. Reigning in life, as seen throughout the Bible, is not merely reigning outwardly over the devil or over sickness, but it's also reigning inwardly over ourselves, our being, and all of our living versus having a position, or a power, or a work. I think Joseph is a great example of a man who reigned in life in a position, as well as over, like, lust, in the case of Potiphar's wife. How about over his being, or himself, in dealing with his brothers? I mean, think about everything Joseph had to overcome concerning his brothers. He could have given in to anger, fear, revenge, but he truly forgave them. Joseph reigned in righteousness. So reigning in life has much to do with reigning over ourselves, our lusts, our anxiety, over our criticism, our sense of being right, or our condemning others. Reigning in life is seeing ourselves as God sees us. To reign in life also means that God reigns over us or that we have surrendered our lives to Him. Think about Romans 6, 13 again. It said, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. And the Passion Translation says, keep on yielding your body to Him, because you now live for His pleasure. We're not looking for any outward recognition or any appreciation. We need to live such a life of being reigned on by God so that we may also reign in life with Christ. Well, how are we reigned on by God? First of all, we have an intimate relationship with him where we can talk to him openly and freely. And secondly, we must read, meditate on the Bible. We get to know him by reading the Bible. We submit our opinions to him, and we substitute our incorrect beliefs with the truth of his word. That's being rained on by God. Believe it or not, just because we have asked Jesus into our hearts, it does not mean that we are letting him reign over us. Romans 6.19 says, talks about before you were sinners, then it says, Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living, so that you will become holy." The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yes, we are saved. We are redeemed. Jesus has forgiven our sins, and our dirty robes have been replaced with his righteous robe. But our new life in Christ, it doesn't end there. Some people may think Jesus will just do it, or that Jesus is going to do everything for them but he has accomplished everything for us at the cross, and he gave us the keys of authority. We have a part to play. Romans 5.17 doesn't say Jesus will reign through you. It says we will reign in life through Jesus Christ. My third point, we have our authority. It enables us to reign over Satan. Paul says in Colossians 2.12, that it was God who formed the plan of redemption. It was God who raised Jesus from the dead. It was God who gave him a name above every other name. And it was God who spoiled the demonic principalities and powers who opposed the resurrection of Christ. See, death is the penalty for sin. When Christ bore the world's guilt on the cross, the satanic powers of the air did you know they sought to exercise their rights and to hold them under their power? But the Bible says Satan, the Bible does say Satan had the power of death, but Jesus conquered him. Hallelujah. Revelations 1.18. Jesus is saying, I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Those are the keys, the keys of authority. Colossians 2.15, In this way, he, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. See, after stripping the demonic powers of the authority that had been theirs, Christ made a show of them openly, triumphing over them at it. See, Christ was elevated above his enemies to the right hand of the Father. Paul stresses in Ephesians, the work the father's work in the overthrow of satanic powers and the defeat of Satan himself so Herb and Diane they have done such a great job of classifying Satan as the enemy of God whose sole purpose is to kill to steal and to destroy he is the father of lies and they showed us how to recognize his tactics that's what we really wanted you to get out of the last two sermons how to recognize his tactics what are his tactics Fear, number one. Do you ever hit by fear? Don't think, oh, I must have just thought that up. No, he's that's his tactic. So the very first thing you do is say, I take authority over fear in the name of Jesus. You have no part of me. That's the first thing you get to do. The other tactic that he uses is slander. He is a slanderer, and he uses words of slander against us. Like to Eve, he said, did God really say that? Or to us, as Diane said, we, aren't, we are nothing, we don't amount to anything. Don't jump on that bandwagon. Whether that thought comes from another person or whether you think that thought came from your head, don't agree with it. Say to yourself, oh, I know where that's coming from. That's a tactic of the devil. I recognize him now. I take authority over slander or the devil. Right now in Jesus' name, flee from me. Flee from me let's recognize those tactics and um herb started sharing some of my scripture so i won't reread it i want to see if i'm at that point right now (laughs) yes it is so diane also said something she brought out something that the amplified talked about that i really liked geez um where did it go oh there it is so, she was talking about the demon-possessed guy at Gerenesis. Gerenesis. I knew I was going to mess that up. There's all kinds of different ways to say that. I even Googled pronunciation, and it was funny because they showed preacher after preacher saying it just a little bit different than the next one. Um, so, anyway, when Jesus um, went over there, that demon looked him up and down to see if they had anything in common. And that made me think of the story that Herb shared. How these guys these Jews were traveling from town to town trying to cast out demons using incantations and no they didn't know the father personally did they yeah they got beat up by that um, by that demon because I think it must have looked them up and down and said I see something in common Yeah. yeah and that actually brings me to my next point the armor of God point number four the armor of God is a must as we walk in our authority. Dutch Sheets has been teaching us how to pray for the lost. Well, when we take authority over the enemy, we are essentially in a battle, warfare. And it is vital that we be arrayed with the armor of God continually. So let's bring up Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And I'm going to read the verses that cover the armor of God. and pray, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So the different parts of this armor, you can go ahead and put the picture of the armor up there. It symbolizes spiritual attitudes the believer must maintain, and wearing this armor protects us. All we need to concern ourselves with is keeping it bright and well secured about us in a nutshell I'm going to tell you what the armor is it is the Word of God it is obedience to the Word of God and it is proclaiming the Word of God but I am going to break them down so the first one is the belt of truth this represents a clear understanding of God's Word like a soldier's belt, it holds the rest of the armor in place. Truth, by its very definition, is exclusive. It means something is true and other things are lies. The Bible is truth. Read it, hunger for it, pray it, write it down, memorize it, understand it. The second piece is the breastplate of righteousness, and this has a twofold application. Jesus is our righteousness, and it shows our obedience to the Word of God. Soak in and obey instructions from the Lord. If there's an area of life that feels like it gets easily tangled up in sin, ask a church leader to share some scriptural truths that might help you walk in the Lord's plan more fully. Find scripture verses to pray for that area, area of your life. And the third piece is feed shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, proclaiming the word of God. See, peace is an attribute of the Lord's very person and character. In Greek, peace means oneness or wholeness. The gospel, which means good news, is the forgiveness of sins and access to and oneness with God through faith in Christ. Well, this oneness with the Lord, it produces peace. The fourth piece is shield of faith. A shield is a covering for the entire body. This represents our complete safety under the blood of Christ, where no power of the enemy can penetrate. So I learned something interesting about this shield of faith. When Paul wrote this passage, Roman soldiers carried shields that were covered with heavy animal hides. And before a battle, they would dip their shields into water, so that when those fiery darts hit them, the wet high would extinguish the darts. Doesn't that kind of explain that verse? In a similar way, a Christian's shield of faith, it needs to be regularly dipped in the water of God's word, to be replenished and fully functional, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The fifth one is the helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation. Salvation comes the moment we place our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection as the payment for our sin. But salvation, it's also worked out through a lengthy process of sanctification. The helmet of salvation, just like the breastplate of righteousness, it rests on the work of Christ to save us, but it also involves us as we journey with the Lord and allow him to work that salvation into every part of our thoughts. The battlefield of our mind is the primary place spiritual battle is fought. Let's surrender thoughts that don't line up with the scripture. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Remember the Lord's character and faithfulness in scripture as well as your life experience. Wash your mind with the renewing of God's word. Sometimes we think, how am I supposed to stop thinking these thoughts? Okay, so I've taken authority over the devil and I've told him to flee from me, but I'm still, I still have these thoughts. We have to replace those thoughts. I mean, we're not, we are intelligent human beings. I know sometimes we like to say we're nothing, but God made us with intelligent minds. And it's so easy for us to replay Oh, something we did stupid, or something someone said to us that we took wrong, or thought they, or even if they said it wrong, what in the world are we supposed to do with that? We have to wash our mind with God's word. That's why it's so important for us to read it every day. Open it up and read it. Ask Him to reveal things to us. Romans 12 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I like to think about his will for me. I like to think on what's good and pleasing and perfect. Not about that other stuff, right? The last piece is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this shows the word is to be used offensively. Those other weapons are mainly defensive, but the sword, the word of God, that's an active weapon. When we are tempted, the most effective weapon that God has given us as believers is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Jesus, he modeled this so beautifully during his temptation in the wilderness. Remember when the devil tried temptation after temptation against him, He used that sword of the spirit. When the devil tempted him three times, he responded with the truth of God's word every single time. We need to understand the difference between information and revelation. Information is of the mind. Biblical revelation, however, it it involves and affects the mind, yes, but it originates from the heart. We need to build those truths, the truths of the word, into our lives by meditating and feeding upon them until they become a part of our consciousness or until our spirits fully understand them. That's why it's so good to meditate, find a verse of scripture that really means something to you or appraise scripture and just read it and read it and write it and read it and sing it and read it and just get it so that next thing you know you're waking up from the middle of the night and it's in your mind it means it's in your heart too that's how we get it there spiritual power is only released through revelation knowledge so we have given you guys some really good information but spiritual power is released we got to have revelation knowledge on this don't just hear it here go home and listen to it again and listen to it again. I've even done that and get out your word and get the bulletin, read the scriptures. Get it into your heart. Cuz the armor of God, it can sound like information. It's it's a cool package that displays a Christian warrior. But this cool package represents us allowing God to reign over us by our surrendering our all to him. The written word, mu- yeah, the written word must become the living word. This is why even we believers must not just read, but also abide or meditate in the word, praying as the psalmist, open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. Amen. Yeah, Diane, you can come on up or the praise team, whoever comes up for that.